everyone, Natalie Dale here. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Ahead of the Curve, a podcast series produced by the Georgia Department of Transportation that spotlights the amazing people, programs, and projects that help make our state's transportation network ahead of the curve. If you are on the internet, which who isn't these days, if you do a Google search on the number of pedestrian fatalities in the year 2022, you're going to find article after article after article about pedestrian deaths and how they are on the rise across the nation. This is not just a Georgia issue, across the nation. In fact, according to the data released in June 2023 from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, it showed American drivers are projected to have struck and killed at least 7,508. Every single one of those is alive. 7,508 people walking in 2022. That is a 77% increase since 2010 and the highest number since 1981, according to that study. That is not acceptable. Unfortunately, in Georgia, we saw 344 pedestrian fatalities in the year 2022, and that is 344 too many. That is 344 people that aren't at home right now. They're not at their job. They're not being part of our society and a valuable member of their family because of something that happened on our roads and something that we are going to change and we can change. Something to remember here, you're a pedestrian every day, whether you realize it or not, walking to your mailbox or to the grocery store, you're a pedestrian. Riding your bike in a bike lane, pedestrian. Pushing your kids in a stroller, I do it all the time. If you're out for a run, if you're just in your local neighborhood, you will become a pedestrian anytime you are out of a vehicle on the transportation system. It happens every day. So what is Georgia Department of Transportation doing to keep you safe when you are in such a vulnerable situation. Today, we're gonna to talk about bicycle and pedestrian safety. You do not wanna miss this one. We are gonna change these numbers after this conversation today. So hang in there, we'll be right back. You might think, it's not a big deal, but driving a few miles over the speed limit could have a big impact on someone's life. Keep your neighbors and members of your community safe. Always be aware of your surroundings, slow down, obey speed limits, and look out for pedestrians. Welcome back. I am joined in studio today by someone very important, someone who works every day to manage programs and projects GDOT has to keep our state's most vulnerable road users, pedestrians, safe. GDOT's State Safety Engineering Supervisor, Ron Knezovich. Ron, I'll ask you what I ask everyone when they get in this chair. Give us your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do to put yourself ahead of the curve? Sure. Thanks, Natalie. So I'm a civil engineer by trade, and I've really been in the civil engineering industry for as long as I can remember. Both my grandpa and father are both civil engineering inventors. And I've been essentially since middle school in a wind tunnel lab, building small facilities and testing them against hurricane mitigation and hurricane force winds. So is this an original passion or is this a passed down family passion or, or a little bit of both? You know, I think it's just a little bit in the genes to say, uh, to be honest. Um, 
when I grew up, I was immersed in that type of work. So I've always thought I want to be in civil engineering. But as I went through college, I was kind of a professor, took me under his wing and showed me the transportation industry, Dr. Sai at Georgia Tech. And um, when I worked with Dr. Sai, I started getting involved with artificial intelligence and data science techniques and how to apply that to traffic safety. So trying to bring in computer vision, where computers detect signs, pedestrians, vehicles, et cetera, and really enhance practices for transportation agencies. So when I graduated, I met um, my boss in senior design, um, the last class I took at Georgia Tech, and he is my current boss now, Sam Harris at the Department of Transportation. He really got me into the traffic safety industry and really try to bring in those data science techniques and prediction models into my work on a day-to-day basis. So what it sounds like to me, and you are more, this is your show, you're more than welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, is from your beginning, you mentioned AI, you mentioned wind tunnels. None of this is Bob and Sally crossing the street. None of this is, is, you know, the flesh and blood of pedestrians and and bicyclists and that sort of element of our transportation network it's it's very much the personal impact uh really of our most vulnerable road user how did you sort of transition from some of these sort of uh non-human things to you know the flesh and blood of what we do so i've always really been advocating for safety safety in general Um, but i'm a marathon runner and a triathlete so when the position opened up for the role of the state pedestrian and bicycle engineer, I said that role is definitely for me. And I jumped on it immediately. Um, so immediately starting my career off with vulnerable roadway users, those pedestrians, bicyclists, or anyone else that rolls in a wheelchair, skateboards, et cetera, and trying to reduce fatalities um, specifically for those type of roadway users. And that led me to my career path today where I'm the coordinator for the Safe Routes to School program, uh, GDOT, as well as the supervisor of the safety program in general. And aside from being your career, obviously very personal to you as a marathon runner, I know when you're training, you probably had to be out and about on the road at different areas, different times of day to get those miles in. Uh, What are some of the things that you sort of, you know, as a user of the system, noticed as far as your gut on where safety could be enhanced and, and sort of any personal experiences with, with you know cars and things like that, just being a pedestrian, being a runner. Sure. Yeah, runner and a bicyclist because I'm a triathlete as well. That's one component. But um, the key is visibility and speed. So those are really two factors that contribute to um, roadway crashes and fatalities the most. At night, especially in poor lighting conditions or when congestion is um, – not there, congestion actually reduces those traffic speeds. But when people are going fast at night or early in the day, that's when you have to be on on alert. That's when crashes are most likely to be severe. So in past episodes of our of our podcast of Ahead of the Curve, we've talked about uh, we've talked about intermodal. Uh, we've talked about some different safety aspects. We've talked about recruiting. Um, so give us. Um, just a snapshot of what you do in your role on a daily basis, because everyone knows we build bridges. Everyone knows we build roads. Um, this is sort of one of the most vital areas of what we do. Your division, your area is, is vital to how roads get built and working that pedestrian and bicycle safety into them. 
Uh, but it's not something that the average Georgian, I think, knows we do all that well or knows the depth of what you do. So give us a little snapshot of, of what you do on a daily basis. My job essentially is find locations to reduce roadway fatalities. Um, we have a very advanced data analytics platform called Ashtoware Safety, or new metric. Um, and there's a public facing dashboard of this as well. And I utilize that to find locations where hotspots of crashes are happening. Um, I started off my career as the pedestrian bicycle engineer, focusing in on just those vulnerable roadway user crashes and statistics. But we don't just assess crashes, we try to assess safety proactively too. So gauging other kinds of data such as ridership at transit stops, presence of schools, any other trip generators for pedestrians, and overlaying that with things like roadway speed, lane number, roadway division, and trying to find locations that are high risk for pedestrians so we can proactively assess safety there. What, what are some of the basic things that you're doing to enhance safety? You, you look at all these metrics, you determine sort of where these hotspots are, where things need to change. What are we doing? What are the changes? So one of the best countermeasures for pedestrian safety are safe crossings. You'll see flashing crosswalk signs called rectangular rapid flashing beacons. There's two extra words there, I think, rectangular and rapid, um, or pedestrian hybrid beacons or raised crosswalks that we're implementing across the state to make those crossings on the road more safe. Additionally, we can find locations where we can actually take lanes off of the roadway and encourage other modes of transportation and buffers from that roadway and the vehicular traffic. Um, so we're finding those locations and replacing travel lanes for vehicles with travel lanes for bicycles and buffers for pedestrians. Um, additionally, things like a roundabout, slowing speeds down, that's better for all types of roadway users, not just pedestrians and bicyclists, but slower speeds helps vehicle safety, helps pedestrian safety, and helps bicycle safety, just because the impact of a collision in a roundabout is much less severe than the impact of a collision um, at a signalized intersection. Your job has to be, in, in my mind, and again, I'm not an engineer, but incredibly difficult because you, we design roads for different users. They, you know, there's no secret we're designing roads and bridges for motorists who need the roads for one aspect, and we're trying to make it safe for them. But we're also designing for vulnerable road users, bikes, pedestrians, and that group has a an entirely different need for the roadway system and a different need for transportation in general, but we are also designing to keep them safe. So how do you balance designing one system for two different users who need different things, but our ultimate goal is to keep them both safe and to get them where they're going safely and efficiently? So a great term for that is complete streets, designing for all types of roadway users, whether it's pedestrians, bicyclists, vehicles, or even transit. Some type of complete streets projects that we use are roadway reconfigurations, where we'll remove travel lanes from the roadway, add bicycle facilities to that road, or add greater separation for pedestrians. Often when we do those projects, we'll add medians with pedestrian crossings as well. That allows for a traffic calming effect and locations where pedestrians can get from one side of the road to the other without having to travel out of their way to get to a signal. Sometimes in those roadway reconfigurations, we'll include transit facilities as well and make sure that 
pedestrians and bicyclists can get to those transit facilities safely as well. Now, one number that we talked about at the in the intro at the very beginning here was the 344 pedestrian fatalities in Georgia in 2022. Now, as you look at those metrics and sort of drill that down, what can you tell us about those 344 fatalities? Are are they sort of confined to a urban setting? Are are we seeing more rural fatalities? Um, and sort of, I know we've come out of the COVID era where there was a lot, lot more flexibility in schedule, more walking, things like that. What do we know about what we're seeing in this continued rise in pedestrian fatalities? What do we know? One thing that's very clear is these fatalities occur on locations where there's higher speeds. So those happen to be on state routes many of the times because those are the major arterials and minor arterials. Where people are traveling faster, we see more fatalities. We also know that the times of day people are traveling faster. 82% of pedestrian fatalities are at night or dusk and dawn, times when visibility is impaired and speeds are higher. We also know that in locations where people actually have to walk more, um, we use an index called social vulnerability that the CDC developed. We found that there are more pedestrian severe injuries in locations where that social vulnerability is higher. So what that social vulnerability is, is census data gauging age, um, race, income level, as well as a variety of other factors such as access to transportation. We can identify where people need to walk and bike more. And we found that to be directly correlated to pedestrian severe injuries and fatalities. So with that data, we can actually proactively gauge where pedestrians uh, crashes are gonna happen. Well, as you said earlier, 80, 82%, 82% of the fatalities we have within the pedestrian group occur in non-daylight hours, so dawn, dusk, overnight. And so the educational component of you're not wrong being a pedestrian during these hours, but there are things you need to do as a pedestrian in these hours to increase your safety. Um, that's part of that educational component. Touch on some of those things. Yeah, so being aware at night of that drivers can't necessarily see you. Making sure if you're crossing a roadway, that vehicles are not coming and they likely do not see you, um, unless you're wearing some sort of flashing clothing or flashing armbands, wristbands, et cetera, um, it can be very difficult for a driver to see a pedestrian. Um, So really trying to target all types of roadway users and saying, um, please be visible at night when you're walking on the road. Drivers are also going a lot faster at night and a message to motorists that no matter what time of day you're out driving, that you need to be looking out for other road users. Asking the vehicle users to be aware that pedestrians may be trying to cross even if it's not at a signal, but also asking the pedestrians, hey, please try to use crosswalks when they're available. The higher the speed of that roadway and the less visible, the more likely you are to be in a severe injury. When do pedestrians have the right of way? Pedestrians have the right of way when they're in the crosswalk. Um, That's really critical for vehicles to know. If you're turning left and there's a pedestrian, I guess, with a foot in the roadway or looking like he's about to cross, you must stop for that pedestrian. Our state law is stop for pedestrians in a crosswalk if you're within the same side of the roadway as them. So if it's a four-lane roadway and you have a median and a pedestrian's on the other side of the median, yes, you can pass. But if that pedestrian suddenly 
gets onto the same side of your roadway, you must stop for that pedestrian. And we'll typically try to increase those compliance with things like those flashing crosswalks um, because it can be difficult for a vehicle to actually see the pedestrian is about to cross. Um, Pedestrians aren't the most visible, so those flashing crosswalks really help to um, increase compliance. And if I'm a motorist and I'm going to turn right at a and there's a crosswalk directly to my right, right outside the building, this happens a bunch. If the don't walk sign is on, but there's still a pedestrian in the crosswalk, the right of way goes to the pedestrian. The pedestrian. If the pedestrian is in the crosswalk, regardless of whether he's crossing illegally or legally, you must stop for the pedestrian. Now, if that crash were to occur, both parties can be cited because the pedestrian would have been crossing illegally, but you are still required to stop for any pedestrian in the crosswalk. So when y'all are looking at all of the data and looking at sort of hotspots, where it's happening, trying to address, you know, the mo- the majority of where they're happening and looking at, I mean, data is such an incredible way for us to have eyes all over the state because we do have such a diverse urban, we have urban communities in the state as well as uh, Georgia is also a very rural state. So talk about the difference between urban and rural challenges. Sure. So in urban areas, you generally have more pedestrian traffic, but there's another challenge in urban areas too, where you don't have too much traffic is on the interstates. Over 12% of our pedestrian fatalities occur on the interstate where pedestrians are not supposed to be walking. So when a person is in a crash, um, you should stay in your car on the interstate unless you can get very far off of the roadway. You become a pedestrian the moment you leave that vehicle and you're then a vulnerable roadway user. So if you're a hit in a car, you have that whole protection of the vehicle. If you're hit as a pedestrian, you can get squished by the car and that crash can be very severe. So if you're in a crash on the interstate, call the cops, wait for them to come. Um, there's no need to get out of your car unless it's about to catch on fire. There, There is, we talked about this in our last episode with, with Ashley Frasca, our good friend over at WSB Radio, who witnessed a pedestrian, someone who got out of their car, they had struck another motorist and they were helping, um, who became a pedestrian fatality. There is a disconnect between what being a pedestrian is, that it's not just walking down your local sidewalk. If you're out of your car, you, you instantly become a pedestrian. You have changed yourself from a motor vehicle user to a pedestrian. And while it is illegal based on Georgia code to, to be a pedestrian, to walk on the interstate, we are desperately trying to cut down on people becoming what I call, not correct term, but accidental pedestrian. You didn't intend to be a pedestrian on the interstate that morning, but you blew a tire and now you're standing outside your car waiting on someone to help. But a motorist that wasn't paying attention caused a chain reaction crash, and now you've become a pedestrian fatality because you're out of your car. What percentage? What are what are we looking at there? Is this is this a growing problem? Because I see it in spurts. We have sort of it happens one month several times, and then it happens, but it's it's never we're never going in the back direction. We're people we're always going to see this. How do we stop this? So educational initiatives is really the best way to prevent that. There's no engineering design that's going to prevent a a person from getting out of their car during a crash. Um, Really, we just have to make people aware that that vehicle is a layer of protection when you're on the roadway. Um, You can typically get hit in a vehicle and survive the crash. But if you're hit as just a 
single person on the side of the road, that crash is very likely to be fatal. The higher the speed of the traffic on interstates, it can be very high speed. The more likely you are to be in that, that crash to be fatal. I know I have personal friends who would disagree. They say, well, I'm not just going to sit in that car. And, and again, we talked about this last month. And it's important because I'll keep talking about this because it's to me it's one of the most preventable things that that I see is uh, I'm not going to sit in my car. I'm not going to be a sitting duck. But you have so much protection behind that. And and even as we've talked about pedestrians, pedestrians don't have the protection. Whether you're right or you're wrong as a as a driver, whether you think you were following the law, you still have a protection. You still are driving a giant heavy piece of machinery um, that can kill. So stay in your car. It's, it's that simple, right? It's that simple. I'm really trying to get that message out there. So those are mostly urban inter- things that happen on urban interstate areas. But Georgia is a diverse state. We have a lot of rural communities, rural routes. The challenge is there in dealing with these different road users in, in a rural setting. Sure. So it can be an extremely difficult to design for pedestrians and bicyclists in rural settings because we have to design so long stretches of sidewalks or bike lanes just to accommodate those type of roadway users. So when you're in rural settings, we know that when the crashes happen there, they're more likely to be severe. And that has to do with being farther away from emergency rooms, um, so you're not able to get that treatment as quickly, but also higher speeds in those rural settings as well. So if you're in a rural setting, make sure you're crossing with adequate visibility of the vehicles and you're walking as far away from the roadway as you can. So using the data, you can sort of find the hotspots of pedestrian fatalities where we're having issues, whether that's a corridor or a spot. That seems to probably be easier in an urban setting in a rural setting, do you have, do you see that there are repeat sort of areas, or in a in a rural setting, do you find pedestrian or bike fatalities to be more random in location? I, I would think that probably in urban settings, the data shows this is a problem intersection, this is where the issue is, but because there aren't as many pedestrians or bicycle users in rural communities, are they more random, or or can they be sort of drilled down with the same data? They're definitely more random, but in general, pedestrian and bicycle crashes are random and rare events and also very underreported events, too. So we have trouble getting that crash data because if you're hit um, very lightly by a vehicle, you're often not going to call the cops. So if you don't call the cops, we don't get that data point. So that leads us to having to use proactive methods to assess safety. Otherwise, we're really just chasing severe injuries and fatalities, and that's not the best way to conduct a safety assessment. I'll see it so often where there's an intersection where we have one pedestrian crash. That pedestrian crash will be a severe injury or a fatality. So it leaves me and other engineers wondering, is there a safety concern? Was that just an event that won't ever occur again? So that's where we have to take other data, like the pedestrian trip generators. In a rural facility, it might not be something like um, a bus stop, but it may be something like a church or a grocery store in the area. And we know that people are walking from their houses to that grocery store, and that's a high-speed roadway. 
we need to put a crossing there so they can cross safely. So really trying to proactively gauge safety before those crashes happen is critical, whether it's urban or rural. So other than sort of the reporting process of, you know, all, all of the police reports get filtered into our system so we can see, how, if you just want to report an area that you have in question, if you're a pedestrian or bicyclist, every time I'm coming through here, I, there's an, I feel like there's an issue. How, how does someone report to GDOT, you know, I think I'd like y'all to look at putting in a signal here. Or I, I think there could be some traffic calming methods here. I think there's a problem here. Does that come directly to us? Does that go through your local government? What's the reporting process if you want us to look at something? So there's all sorts of different ways. Um, there's a bicycle and pedestrian email online. Uh, simply Google Georgia Bicycle Pedestrian. You can see our page of programs, our state bike routes, uh, contact email of bikeped at dot.ga.gov. Pretty, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> pretty straightforward uh, email, I think. Let's talk about bicyclists because there's one, there's several differences, but one that comes to mind when you're comparing pedestrians and bicyclists is speed. Bicyclists can get good speed. Uh, where pedestrians, unless unless they're sprinting, um, are not moving as fast. So they have um, some different challenges for that group. Uh, talk about designing roads for bicyclists who uh, they can, you know, they can move at a higher speed. Uh, they're a little bit more nimble with where they're going. Um, and they're a little bit more tied to really the road system as opposed to the sort of pedestrian accommodations. Um, one of the challenges with bicycle design is the counterflow to vehicle traffic. When vehicles exit a driveway or a side street, they have to look both ways for a cyclist, um, especially if there's something like a multi-use trail. So when you're designing bicycle facilities, you have to account for where should you put bike lanes on the road or where should you use those multi-use trails that are separated from the roadway facility as well. It often has to do with the driveway density and the side streets along that corridor. Additionally, you can have to think about the separation of the bike lanes from traffic. Not all bicyclists are the same. You have some bikes that are strong and confident, want to bike in the road, go high speeds. You have other bikes that are just kids trying to get to school. So depending on the context of the roadway and where we're designing it, we have to design those facilities differently. And if it's school route then maybe we add more separation more buffer but if it's a rural highway that's where we design um, just a wider shoulder for bicyclists to just get across the state we're going to use this as an educational opportunity because i don't know and i'm hoping you do when bicyclists are let's say they're, they're a type of of road user that wants to be in the road traveling with the flow of traffic usually more in urban settings with motor vehicles are they adhering to the same laws as motor vehicles. So when you're designing the road, they have to adhere to all of the same rules and regulations that a motor vehicle would have to adhere to. Yes, so bicyclists are not pedestrians. Bicyclists are much closer to a vehicle, but vehicles have to get over one lane when they're traveling with a bicyclist. That's the kind of key difference is you cannot pass a bicyclist in the same lane as you. Um, bicyclists are supposed to get as far right as possible to allow and accommodate the passing of a vehicle. But yes, bicyclists in general, treat them just like a vehicle when you're on the roadway. What, what is the message for them? How are we working for them to increase access for them to roads? And, and what's the message for them on how they can increase safety within the roadway uh, with their behavior? 
So I'll say one thing we're doing right now for bicyclists, um, but pedestrians as well, is we, we are developing a rural active transportation plan, hopefully to be preceded by an urban one as well. So in that rural active transportation plan, um, we're trying to connect our state bicycle route network, allowing bicyclists to take these uh, specific dedicated routes um, and bike safely to kind of encourage other modes of transportation, not just vehicular travel. So in talking about these different groups, pedestrians, bicyclists, motor vehicles, if you could impart all of your wisdom right now to each of those groups, how to be safe on the road, how we are addressing their safety concerns. Um, let's, let's go through those three groups because we talk a lot in our Arrive Alive, See and Be Seen campaign about how pedestrians can be safe on the road, how bicyclists can be safe being visible, things like that. But let's be honest, if someone behind the wheel of a car is not paying attention, that car is going to win. The pedestrian and bicyclist, they don't have the same protection that a motor vehiclist does. So let's take off the table who's right or wrong. We want to save lives. So what is the the safety message and what is the we're working for you message for each of these three groups? Let's start, let's start with pedestrians. Sure. So for pedestrians, we try to make things easier to be compliant with traffic laws. Um, one of the approaches that we've adopted as GDOT is the safe systems approach. So we don't just design things up to standard and make things safe by the books. We try to design so pedestrians will follow the rules of traffic, making crossings closely spaced together so pedestrians don't have to go far out of their way to cross. And often putting medians in the road just in case, well, if a pedestrian crosses, they at least have that refuge island. Often we'll even funnel pedestrians to safe crossings through things like a fence or bushes, just so sometimes spiky bushes so they don't try to cross through those bushes. Um, those are techniques to, I guess, increase compliance. can also modify signals, shorter signal cycles, to allow pedestrians to act more compliantly. We know that if a pedestrian has to wait more than 30 seconds at signal, the, they're more likely to cross illegally on the road. There's also things you can do on the roadway and designing the roadway to accommodate those pedestrians and allow them to be more compliant. How can bicyclists sort of enhance their behavior as part of the roadway system to enhance safety for all? So being aware is a key component, not biking on the wrong side of the road. Um, even if you're on the sidewalk, biking in the bike lane if it's present. Um, biking on the wrong side of the road on the sidewalk, um, that can be dangerous for a cyclist because vehicles aren't necessarily going to look right for a bicyclist coming counterflow to traffic. So a cyclist going at a high speed on the sidewalk may catch them off guard and that can lead to a crash. Let's talk directly to motors now because, again, we want to take off the table this idea of, well, someone was right and someone was wrong and a, a motorist was doing, you know, obeying all the road rules because in the end, pedestrians, bicyclists are vulnerable. They don't have the protection that a motorist has and, and our goal is to save lives, to get everyone where they're going safely. So what is your ultimate message to motorists using the system on how they can make the system safer for pedestrians and bicyclists? So the motorists really just be aware of pedestrians and bicyclists on the roadway. Often people think of them more as an afterthought and they're trying to communicate with just the other vehicles. But really, pedestrians and bicyclists are roadway users too and they need to use our system and they need to use our system safely. Whenever you're making a left or right turn, 
just be aware that you're not just looking out for vehicles, but you want to look out for a pedestrian or a bicyclist too. You might need to look over your shoulder for a bicyclist as well. How does Georgia rank nationally in terms of our pedestrian-focused initiatives? As a state, how much are how much are we paying attention to the need for changes and, and sort of attention to vulnerable road users? So there's two things I'd like to tackle here. The first is our complete streets warrants. Um, we have in our policy that every time you design a new roadway or modify an existing roadway and it meets complete streets warrants, you have to accommodate either bicycle or pedestrian traffic. There's certain conditions that trigger those warrants, like being in proximity to school or being um, in a local government's active transportation plan. So we try to take those thoughts from the local governments where they intend to build their facilities. And in those type of roadways, we have to accommodate all types of roadway users. Additionally, we have uh, adopted the safe systems approach in our strategic highway safety plan. That's a plan that the governor signs off of, the governor's office of highway safety works on it in cooperation with GDOT. And the safe systems approach is a concept that all roadway fatalities are unacceptable, um, that the responsibility is shared amongst all types of roadway users, not just the designers of the road, but the roadway users themselves and educational initiatives, law enforcement, etc. But also acknowledging that humans make mistakes. I've been in meetings before where engineers say, well, that road was designed well, I don't understand what's going on. Why are crashes happening here? And it's because pedestrians and drivers make mistakes on the road. We have to design as easy as possible to accommodate all types of modes of transportation. And our ultimate goal we go back to zero pedestrian fatalities, zero bicyclist fatalities, zero motorist fatalities. Zero is really the only acceptable number we have here, and we have to work through many different uh groups to, to bring these numbers down. And so in doing that, what is the future? What do you envision as the future of bicyclist pedestrian safety in Georgia, in the nation? What are, what are your goals for the future? My goals are to really make people more aware that pedestrian and bicycle travel can be safe and that that's not just an afterthought. Those types of transportation are just as important as vehicular travel, um, and if not more important, they can lead to decreased pollution, um, less emissions, more active transportation, better public health, and they're cheaper and more cost-effective modes of transportation. So really trying to hone in on those facilities should be separated from the roadway wherever possible, but also encouraging when we have to have those interactions and encouraging all roadway users to go slow speeds when those types of interactions occur. I think we have a lot of work ahead of us. I know you have a lot of work ahead of you, but as do our roadway designers. So thank you so much for having this conversation with us today. It's a conversation that doesn't need to stop. It doesn't need to be limited just to this episode of Ahead of the Curve, because as we've learned, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, and it's something that we are going to continue to prioritize as a department. So, Ron, thank you so much for being here. And I know hopefully this time next year we can have the same conversation with better numbers. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Human 
trafficking happens everywhere, sadly, but often happens on our nation's roadways. In Georgia, the average age of a human trafficking victim is 14 years old. By being aware and knowing the signs of human trafficking, you could make a difference and help stop this crime. Knowing the warning signs, like inappropriate clothing either for age or weather, the inability to speak for oneself, they show signs of physical abuse or the individual is fearful, timid, or submissive. Georgia DOT is doing our part to end human trafficking. Please report any suspicious activity to the Georgia Human Trafficking Hotline at 866-363-4842. That's 866-363-4842. For information on the warning signs of human trafficking, visit doas.ga.gov. Let's band together to end human trafficking in Georgia. is back to school time and depending on if you're a parent and where your kids have been this summer if you're either celebrating or you're you're groaning because it's summer's done uh but it's back to school time in georgia and joining us now is someone who works every day to make it safer for kids and families to walk and bike or scooter or roll however they're getting there to school patty sistrunk is the coordinator for safe routes to school georgia a program that encourages physical activity, improves air quality, reduces traffic congestion and emissions around schools, and addresses traffic safety concerns by engaging communities. Patty, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. So we're going to jump right in. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, uh, let them know who you are and how long you've been involved with Safe Routes to School. Thanks so much, Natalie. It's great to be here. Um, my name is Patty Sistrunk, as you said, and I am with the Georgia Safe Routes to School Resource Center. And we um, have been in operation since uh, 2009, actually, across the state. And I've been with the program since then and worked in Safe Routes to School for years before that and school transportation, trying to make it safe for kids. How has it from your vantage point, because you have been involved for so long, and we are so thankful for that because you bring so much knowledge, sort of sort of walk us through 2009 versus today. What have been the significant changes or sort of the evolution? We have come a long way since 2009 in our understanding of transportation options for families and even in just how the Georgia Department of Transportation approaches safe routes to school. And we've always approached it from a, a comprehensive kind of level and not just if you build it, they'll use it. And if you teach about it, they'll do it. It's uh, looking at communities for their uniqueness. So earlier in this episode, we heard about the stats around pedestrian fatalities and what GDOT is doing infrastructure-wise to combat pedestrian fatalities across the state. So let's switch gears here and talk a little bit about how the department is supporting pedestrian and bicycle safety when it comes to school-aged children and families. And I know you'll agree with me, you know, getting this message across at a young age, that's going to set that student, that child up for a lifetime of safety. And that starts with the mission of Safe Routes to School. So can you share with us that mission? Sure. Yeah. And the, the mission of the Georgia Department of Transportation Safe Routes program is to get more families to choose 
walking and biking to school when and where it's safe. And where it's not safe, we collaborate, we coordinate, we communicate with the local communities to make it safer, to implement strategies that are specific to that community, that school, uh, to make it safer for children to walk and bike. And then there's also those communities where children have to walk and bike. They don't have another option or another mode of transportation. So we want to especially focus on those communities and helping make it safe and, and eliminating some of the uh, barriers to safety. And we're talking schools, you know, rural, urban, across the state. So how many schools are involved in, in the dynamic of how they're all different? Oh, they they so are, yes. And we, we now work with K through 12, um, any school, uh, public or private. And we have currently more than 520 school partners across the state. And while some people may say, you know, it's too far, it's unsafe here for kids to walk and bike. Our, our school is in a rural area. Uh, there are not paths here. All children, as you mentioned, they grow up and become drivers or they grow up and they're a pedestrian or even they're a pedestrian at some point. So teaching them about pedestrian and bicycle safety is a life skill that we can do now through many of our programs at the Safe Routes. I have to believe that if you're a child who grows up with this, the Safe Routes to School program is part of how you come and go to school, that when you get your keys and you get behind the wheel, that you're going to have a more well-rounded mindset of being a safe driver because you know what it's like to be a pedestrian and look up and see someone behind the wheel with their face in their phone coming straight at you and not paying attention. Those are sort of those real life experiences that are going to make you uh, not only a better pedestrian, but also long-term, would you agree, a better driver? Oh, definitely. And GDOT has some other great programs that are aimed at student drivers, but talking to them early on about pedestrian and bicycle safety and what it's like to be a pedestrian or bicyclist, then that can help build the empathy as well as the skill set for them to understand um, what it's like to be out there walking or biking and and how that interaction with drivers can be life or death. Um, It's a very serious thing. Since you began your involvement in 2009, has much changed? I, I know yeah, I never had a scooter when I was little, and my kids are scooter fanatics. And so I know whether the tools for kids are changing or whether the attitude or the, the roadways are changing, How where have we come since 2009? There are, there are a lot of differences. When we started out this program, we just had an idea, a framework of a program from the Federal Highway Administration, and we have since grown. And there were schools around the state that really embraced this idea of students getting to and from school safely. And there are communities that have grown around schools being their center point, their community center, and where walking and biking is embraced. But you know, since the 80s, our culture has been very car-centric. And cars, even since 2009, vehicles are getting bigger. They're heavier. So that's an issue we have to They're deal quieter. with. They're quieter. They're quieter. They're that's just, so you know, true. They'll speak up on you. Yes. And also technology. Um, you know, when we started this program, I remember I had a flip phone. 
Um, I don't know if people remember flip phones, but you weren't texting, you weren't absorbed in technology constantly. So we're having to remind kids to use their senses. So you mentioned that the cars are quieter, but we're having to tell students to take those headphones off and those earbuds out and to pay attention to what's going on around them. That's on the flip side too. Drivers are not paying attention as much. We're lucky here in Georgia to have a hands-free law, but but that doesn't mean that everybody's obeying it. So we have to be really careful about that. And we've come a long way too in the program and the resources that we've developed. Uh, there are a lot of great materials, tip sheets, guides, and we've also realized what kind of things can help different communities. And like I mentioned before, no two school communities are the same. So we approach them all as unique and what kind of resources may work in one community are not going to work in another. So we really tailor it to that school. And so the number of resources in our library of options and strategies has really grown. And we are really excited to be part of a whole network nationally of uh, Safe Routes programs that we can draw from and share information and things that work. Can you give us an example? I know with years of experience and over 500 school systems involved in this, You've got a lot to pick from, but could you give us an example of uh, maybe sort of a, a success story of where there wasn't great infrastructure surrounding the school and this not only increased the number of pedestrians or bicyclists or just give us give us your, your favorite success story, one or two. One of my favorite success stories is actually in Savannah. Um, I, I live in coastal Georgia too, so and I, um, Chatham County was home for a while, and the school district there embraced Safe Routes to School for a pretty interesting reason. Um, it was crime that encouraged them to say, we need to figure out how to get kids safely to and from school. They have to walk and bike here. They have a lot of community schools uh, nestled in neighborhoods. But sometimes there were crime issues. And so the school district, the Savannah Chatham County School District Police approached us and said, we need to figure out some way to get kids to and from school safely. And so we help them. We go out and they do a few schools a year in developing a safe routes plan and walking school bus plans. And it's really cool because they also work with the city um, the GDOT district, the, the county to improve the infrastructure around the schools. And we developed these plans to funnel students. So in a lot of these communities, there's like a grid system. So kids are walking down every street, every direction. But when you designate safe routes, when you create a safe routes map and say, these are the preferred routes, you can funnel kids to crossing guards or other safe crossings where there's a signalized intersection you can make sure that there are sidewalks and improvements along those routes to make it safer or there are low speed streets, there's no sidewalk. Uh, you also can develop a neighborhood watch program where maybe senior citizens or people that work from home can sit on their porches and keep an eye out for the kids that are walking and biking to school along these designated routes. And so the Savannah Chatham County school system has done this across the county and they started with schools in disadvantaged communities where the most need was and they've branched out from there and so it's been a really big success story and we're really proud of the work that chief enoch and his team at savannah chatham county public schools is doing there that's incredible it just really reflects that there's so much more than just getting to school that there is a community aspect to this that really extends beyond just 
getting from point A to point B. Um, can you describe for us the walking school bus? That was one of the first things that I learned about <laughs> when I learned about the program. And it's, it's, you know, visually in my head, it's it makes me smile. Tell our listeners, because I'm sure many of them don't know about a walking school bus. Uh, walking school buses are probably one of the best things about Safe Routes to School to me. And this is a group of children or families that walk and bike to school together. And it can be a formal program where in one of the schools in in Savannah, they actually have designated stops and times where an adult that is designated to walk with them, almost like the bus driver. And the students all walk together and you can preface that walking school bus with pedestrian safety education in the beginning of the school year and throughout the school year. But the idea is that these kids walk together. There are probably so many informal walking school buses happening across the state. And that's just groups of kids and families that walk together. This is a great way, safety in numbers, a great way to improve safety and visibility. It encourages those safe routes, the designated routes. Families can determine what the best thing to do is for their their group and what the best route is. Parents can help each other. Caregivers can help each other. And, you know, maybe it's a relay and this parent gets this group this far and then another parent picks up. Or it's like a carpool where different caregivers can help do it at different times. And we've even seen in communities where older siblings are the responsible person that's helping these kids get to and from school. But the socialization too, kids getting to know their neighborhood. I I can't think of anything better. So many kids, their whole view of the world is from the backseat of a car or through a screen. And to know how they get to and from school, to understand their community, to know where their neighbors are, and to know their neighbors' names. I think that's really cool. How does a school get involved if they're listening to this? And at this point, if I'm listening to this and I'm not involved, I'm very eager and I'm very jealous. I'm ready for my walking, the, the walking school bus in my neighborhood. How do schools get involved? Oh, we can partner with any school, any public or private school, and it's free. And all you have to do is sign up. So they can go to our website, there's um, ways to sign up there. They just click on the button that says four schools. Um, they can reach out to us. We're happy to help. Oftentimes, the schools are so overwhelmed with too much to do, too much to, to manage. They're, they're, they've got a lot on them. So we also try to partner with community organizations. So we call them the Friends of Safe Routes. And this is a network of support groups like bike ped advocates and communities or safe kids coalitions or a different law enforcement organizations even that want to get involved and oftentimes we find those champions for safe routes at a school outside of the school but then oftentimes they are a school member or a passionate parent or caregiver that wants to help their school's walk and bike more and so we have resources that can help we have incentives we have bookmarks and safety materials and things like that we have tip sheets and guides and that's all available free they just have to partner with us and reach out and we can help meet them where they're at too sometimes you know schools have so much going on but we can say hey you have an open house coming up don't just have the table for the car riders and the table for the bus riders also have a table set up 
with um, some safe routes and walking and biking safety tips and reminders about where students need to go when they walk and bike. And sometimes we forget that walking and biking is an option. It may not be a safe option right now, but we can also help make it safer. And safe options include not only what you do, but it sort of from an engineer's perspective at, at GDOT, how we can help to adapt infrastructure. And so I know as part of the program, you're not just looking at how we get into the minds of people that, that walking and biking is is an option, um, but also to to do sort of a, a infrastructure, you know, keen eye on infrastructure and see what's missing and what could be there and how that can adapt. And how many of these scenarios is infrastructure physically changed or adapted or enhanced to to support this program? We almost always see at least some minor infrastructure improvements made um, along safe routes. It's it's inevitable that there is some way we can improve. And the technology is always improving and the the way that uh, engineering can be applied to a community to make it safer whether it's updated signage or improving even the direction of traffic, road diets, things like that. The Safe Routes to School Resource Center can actually come out and help do assessments. We can do observations. We can look at the way drivers are behaving. We can help schools and the community that surrounds them prioritize walking and biking and those vulnerable users. The most vulnerable of vulnerable users are these children who are trying to walk or bike to school. It seems, and maybe it's because I'm a child of the 80s, that walking to school is such an innocent and simple thing. And it has, we've sort of gotten away from that because of a lot of the things that we've talked about, distracted driving, the difference in cars and size and things. It's, it's not as innocent as it once was. Um, and in different communities, it means different things. And so starting with, we talk about shared responsibility. So for our listeners, let's talk to the drivers about what they should be looking at when they're going through a school zone and how they can be an active part of making these routes safe. Oh, definitely. Drivers are key to helping to keep kids safe. We don't want to put all of the pressure and responsibility on children who are definitely still learning. They're still growing and their brains are still developing even. So we want to make sure that drivers are aware when they're in a school zone. They put their devices down for sure. Um, make eye contact with children and and other pedestrians and bicyclists. Understand that children can be unpredictable when they're walking and biking or playing in areas that are near roadways. So slow down. That's the biggest thing. Speed is really the biggest factor in terms of injuring, and it can be the difference between injury or death when a pedestrian or cyclist is struck by a vehicle. So slow down and uh, pay attention. Look especially at intersections and near school zones. While we head back into the school year, you have to change up your route because there's congestion around a school. Do that. And to your point, because I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, you know, we as adults have the benefit of experience of how, you know, how long we've been behind the wheel and and how long we've been a part of the transportation system. And the behavior of children is unpredictable, as you put it. You know, I can teach my three-year-old son pretty quickly not to grab the hot pot on the stove, but he grabbed it once. And so, you know, a child 
stepping out of a crosswalk or darting across the road. They're learning, but we don't we don't want the learning process to cost them their life. And then that a lot of that is the responsibility is on drivers going through these zones because a lot of the responsibility, honestly, as we've discussed, is on the driver because they have the machine, uh, they have the speed, and their behavior could have disastrous consequences. So um, this program is so important. We've talked to the drivers. Just if I'm a parent, just give me some basic level advice for my kid walking to school and with me walking to school with my child. Just where, where do I get started? I think it probably depends on the age of the child. But one of the best things that you can do is start out with how are you going to get there? Let's talk about the route. Let's talk about who you're walking and biking with. Let's make sure that you're prepared for the walk or the bike ride or the scooter ride or whatever it is so that you're visible, wear bright clothing, have lights on your bike, make sure that you're not distracted with the earbuds in. And then when they're on the route, walking and biking to know the rules of the road, understand what drivers are going to do look both ways. That's key. Crossing the street is one of the most dangerous things, you know, along the route. So look both ways and not just left, right, left, and then dart out, but keep looking. If you're on an intersection, look over your shoulder, make eye contact with drivers, make sure they see you, look at them, wave, say hello. <laughs> you know, we, we're very friendly in Georgia. So we want to encourage kids to say hello to their neighbors, the people that are driving by, make sure that they're visible and don't run. Don't be unpredictable or near streets, be very predictable. Uh, if you're on a bike, wear a helmet. That's key. And uh, scooters too. In Georgia, it's actually the law for children 15 and under to wear a helmet. So they need to make sure they do that. It's a good idea for adults too, because your head's important. Patty, it is always such a pleasure to talk with you. And um, I look forward to seeing how this program continues to grow and the impact it continues to make as we continue to educate, not just the pedestrians and the kids, but also the drivers. They are such an important part of this. And so I thank you for all that you do and thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more about Safe Routes to School Georgia, you can visit their website at saferoutesga.org or by going to GDOT's website and navigating through our pedestrian bike section of our page to learn more if you want to get your kids or your school involved. Safety is not just a buzzword for GDOT. It is part of our daily mission. It is incorporated and considered in every project we work on. Today, we focused on pedestrian safety, but in episode six, we talked more in depth about the projects and programs in place for motorist safety. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to it. It's a good one. And again, working our way to zero fatalities on our road with every podcast, with every project we do. As always, If you have an idea for an upcoming episode or you have a question, please reach out to us at aotc at dot.ga.gov. Again, that's aotc, ahead of the curve, at dot.ga.gov. Join us next month to learn about how GDOT is working on a strategic plan in coordination with industry stakeholders to reduce transportation emissions as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. That's next on Ahead of the Curve.